You take somebody my age, born in December of 98. I'm 24. I was, I think, two years old when 9-11 happened. I was going to middle school when the Great Recession happened. I was graduating high school when the 2016 presidential election happened. I graduated college in 2020 when the pandemic hit, the Capitol riots happened, and you had the Trump-Biden election. And now it's 2023. Not a great sample size of democratic progress and growth. Hmm. Like, that's the... That's a, fa- that's a really fair comment. When you look at it from that lens, I don't think it's necessarily meant to excuse the skepticism and the critique, but I think it's meant to demonstrate that if all you know is a house on fire, then there's basically two options. One, you either try to will up and put out the fire, which is what myself and my fellow young leaders are doing, or you escape the house, which is frankly a very understandable notion. Welcome to an army of normal folks. I'm Bill Courtney. I'm a normal guy. I'm a husband, a father, an entrepreneur, and I've been a football coach in inner city Memphis. And the last part unintentionally led to an Oscar for the film about our team. It's called Undefeated. I believe our country's problems will never be solved by a bunch of fancy people in nice suits talking big words that nobody understands on CNN and Fox, but rather an army of normal folks, us, just you and me deciding, hey, I can help. That's what Manu Meal, the voice we just heard, has done. Manu wasn't planning to dedicate his life to preserving our democracy, but a riot broke out on his college campus and he accidentally became a unifying force for all sides. Today, he's trying to unify the country as the CEO of Bridge USA, whose chapters at 50 colleges and 24 high schools create spaces for students of all stripes to openly and constructively discuss political issues, equipping the next generation with the skills to navigate conflict and find solutions across differences. Manu brings me hope that his generation can do this better than my generation has done. And I cannot wait for you to meet him right after these brief messages from our generous sponsors. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. 
With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Manu Meal. No. Manu Meal. Manu. Manu. Yes, sir. Is that right? Yes, sir. That's right. The second one. Manu Meal, welcome to Memphis. I hope you enjoyed your sandwich when I was starving and you ate it in front of me. You know, I had to I had to buy the sandwich specifically to show you off, but don't worry, it was vegetarian and only had avocado in it. So I don't think it would have filled you up. You're well, not only would you not fill me up, I hate avocado, so okay. I would have spit it out. Good, good. That's well, very then, I don't anti- even that's, feel- a, that's very anti California of you. I have nothing to do with California, so it's perfect. (laughs) And it's it's very West Coast of you, sir. Yeah, yeah. I definitely, I feel like I I flew in today and uh, you and I were just talking about like carbon sequestration and trees and you gave me a full lesson on it. And like, I feel like if you mapped my carbon footprint, I would look like a freaking weird tech guy. But I made, for the record, I make like half the money, maybe a third. (laughs) Maybe a third. Well, Nonetheless, welcome to Memphis. Thanks for Thank coming you, to, to be with us and um, hang out at the FedEx Forum. Yeah, you're, are you going to be a Grizzlies fan now? Definitely not. No, definitely not. No chance. What are no you? Chance. A, the elevator was broken on the way up. Well, it was, but... That, that's I, a bad sign. I have a secret. It wasn't broken. You weren't a fan, so they made you walk. <laughs> they were like, I'm not in with John Morant, so it's not going to work out. Well, what kind of fan are you? So I'm a Boston Celtics fan. I used to be a Lakers fan. Um, well, then you should be a little bit of a Grizzlies fan because Marcus Smart is now a Grizzly. Well, and that you makes guys love that him. makes that makes me less. Uh, he he less, didn't leave on his own accord. Y'all traded him, which is a bad call. It was a bad call. You know, he, he had the heart. He had the heart and the soul. Of no the team. kidding. We're he happy had, to have him. He had him. guts. He yeah. felt like a normal person on the team. It will be lovely having him. To beat the Celtics next time we play them. Yeah, is that true? Yeah, at least, so. at least, hey, at least uh, we've got a championship or two. Um, <laughs> yeah, you do have those. No, but I'll. We're joking. coming. I, I I really do appreciate being here. I I think Memphis. I mean, you gave me a history lesson too on the on the Zoom call that we had. But I'm somebody that loves history, loves places that have a lot of transformation, and um, I don't take here. I don't take the time for granted. 
There's yeah. a ton here. I wish you could stay a little longer. Same. I'd love to show you around. Let's talk about you, though, because that's what we're here for. First, where'd you grow up? Tell me tell me about little Manu. I'm still little. Okay. <laughs> young you Manu. I'm also young. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll All t- right. How about <laughs> five to 15-year-old Manu? Okay, cool. Five to 15. Actually, the interesting stuff is one to five. One to five? Yeah. I think it's all interesting, but go to one to five. Okay, so my parents moved from India. They were in New Delhi, Northern India. They moved to the United States in 97. I was born in December of 98 in Central. You are Germany. a puppy, aren't you? Yeah. 98. Yeah. yeah. Oh, December 98. Still wet behind the ears. My colleague, my colleague, I'm very, my colleague is a 2000 oh. uh, baby, a millennium baby. And so I can only imagine how young I must feel at 98 because when she says 2000 I'm like man that's young she's only two years younger than me um but yeah no I'm I'm totally young which is why when you're like tell me about little Manu I was like that's presumptuous of me to be like but I was I was born in New Brunswick New Jersey then my mom and my my dad my mom especially had a really hard time settling in she you know her entire family was there she's very extroverted she really cared about family and she had a hard time staying in the united states and so she actually went back with my dad and they thought about you know potentially staying in india and i distinctly remember my mom telling me the story it's something that i'll always be grateful to her for coach bill which is that she walked me past this like school where i would probably go to school and it was there was like cow sh- on the side and it was in India, in India, in New Delhi, it was dirty. The doors were rusted and she was like, there's no way this guy's going to grow up here. And so she basically bucked up and she and my dad flew back to the United States where my mom did all of her stuff to be a doctor. But the reason why that one to five period is important is because I actually then live with my grandparents in India for those five years on and off. And so I live with my dad's side in New Delhi. I live with my mom's side in a village close to a state called Haryana. And then I came back to the U.S. after those five years and basically moved around every two years until... Did your mother and father get their doctorate? So my mom became a doctor and my dad was a computer scientist. It's a classic Indian... I don't even. I'm not computer scientists and doctors, the classic Indian family. It's the classic Indian family. And then look at me. Look at what happened to me. Well, we don't know that yet. So let's not go there. But so uh, why were you going back and forth then? Because, and why were you moving every two years? Because clearly they were earning well. I mean, they had their degrees and all, right? So, I mean, I, I certainly did not. We were not poor, but my dad's job was unstable for some time, so we would move because of that. Then my mom's job would change. Um, I lived in New Jersey, lived in Staten Island, New York, came back to Jersey, moved around there twice, never spent again more than those two years, and then basically went to high school in Lexington, Massachusetts. And so when you talk about money, what's interesting is every move that we made, we actually, my parents started earning a little bit more money, a little bit more money. And they're chasing the American dream a little bit. They're chasing the American dream. They're chasing the American dream and not just the American dream, but they're chasing, I think, just a, I think they were just chasing a foundation for where their kids could just make the most of their sacrifice. I I get it. I think that was it. That's a beautiful thing. That is the American dream, especially for um, immigrants, which your parents are. Yep. But you're an American. You were born here. I was born here. But what's fascinating is when I came back at the age of five, I like was this like, first of all, 
countries like India, and this is me saying as somebody that's from India, smell different. I landed here and I just smelled like India. It's a very distinct smell. It's like when you come, live in New York City or you live in Texas or you live you live in a village, you know, or you live in a farm, you work on a farm as opposed to, and I had like, when, when you're oftentimes in an area where there's a lot of dust, your hair gets all matted and it sticks together. And so I like did not, I think my first language was Hindi, um, even though I was born here. And yeah, man, it was, it was fascinating to try and fit in. Um, it, okay, was, it was pretty it. hard. Let's be real. Yeah. At five years old, trying to fit in is not fascinating. That is not the word a five-year-old would use about trying to fit in. And well, I'm, I'm interested in this yeah. because I think it's germane to what you're doing now, actually, as I've thought a lot about your story, believe it or not. I have thought about a lot, about a, a no, lot. I appreciate about, that. Well, I mean, you're, you're this, you're in this interesting place that one, you've grown up basically in India. You're an American, born in America, grown up in India. You even said your first language is probably actually Hindi and you move every two years yeah. and the moving every two years and your parents trying to get you the best opportunity in the world and they're chasing the American dream and I get it and that's beautiful but I gotta believe you had a hard time fitting coming up yeah um and that even if you started develops relationships in two years you're gone again yeah what yeah. was that like I mean that's where the I hope as a five-year-old, I wasn't using the word fascinating because then I would be actually an odd kid. Then there's no chance of me fitting. No, in. a five-year-old would, would but, or a seven-year-old would say it would suck. Not that it was I'll fascinating. I'll tell you what the, what the difference, though. In hindsight, may be fascinating. Yes, it definitely sucked. I just, my temperament is one where I just have a hard time. I just don't really try to associate negative emotions, a lot of that type of stuff, because it really did make me who I am today. Um, but that's only looking in hindsight. I'll tell you, you know, trying to fit in, trying to make friends, I mean, it did suck. I think I used to, I, I had almost a bully in every sort of stage. And this is something that I credit my parents a lot with. You know, my mom had that philosophy of if someone, if someone punches you, punch them back twice and, and make sure they never get up. And I had a, I mean, do I look like somebody that can punch back <laughs> twice? Like, let's, let's be real. Do I look like a kid that can punch? I can punch back with my words, but that's only now. I was, I was like chubby. I was pudgy. I did not have that capacity. Um, and so really it did suck. And what sucked most about it actually coach bill was that I feel like you oftentimes have this feeling of America, like in India, especially whenever I would go back after coming here, I distinctly remember when I was like seven, 10, 13 people back home would say like, man, like you're in America. Like that's, that's the dream. That's the place. And I was Did like, they think you were like fortunate, lucky. Yeah, was awesome. yeah. I mean, you're the, you're basically, you know, like you're the, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that did not mirror the reality of our life, which was that I lived in apartments my entire life until we got to, to like eighth grade. I grew up with my siblings in one apartment again, fitting in was one where like kids would pick on you. If you take the, this is so funny when you asked me how to pronounce my name, part of the reason why I stopped really caring was because it, it became such a subject of like intrigue and making jokes that I was like, you know what? We got to figure out other ways to keep going. What's interesting now that I think about this is that it made me somebody that understood how to just create space for people to be idiots for a little bit so that you can better accept them, they can better accept you, and you can actually get somewhere. And the last thing I'll just say on this point is you learn how to adapt. And 
I think one of the things that I fear a lot about the work I do now, and I, I don't want to skip ahead, but like when people see this like young person that can be super charismatic and they talk and all of that, I know what that creates. I know the vibe that that gives off. It's like, oh, this must be a trust fund baby or this must be whatever, whatever. And frankly, my life really helped give me the impetus to do the work that I do. Because I think there's a lot of kids out there. I mean, you worked with a lot of them in your past that are just trying to fit in and are looking for space. So, yeah. So what you just said is the discovery that I was trying to reveal is that the podcast that came out, I'm going to timestamp this, Alex, so no griping. He hates when I timestamp stuff, uh-huh, so uh-huh. he's going to have to just get Makes over editing it. harder. That's producer stuff. Alex can just relax on this one. So today's podcast, so we yeah. our podcast release every Tuesday. And the reason I really even started thinking about you again yeah. was this podcast. And it's about Stacey Horst. And very shortly, and if you guys listening now haven't listened to it, go listen to it. It's gripping. Her Her kid was autistic. Um, Asperger's level one and uh, this child at 16 because of being bullied and ostracized because she didn't fit because of her social limitations she took her own life and at 16 it absolutely floors me when I think about what that family has done to honor the legacy of their daughter but as I was thinking about you um, obviously I'm not saying you were suicidal or anything, but what I am saying is, um, for the son of an immigrant from India who goes back and forth and is living and growing up with basically two different cultures and moving every two years, I gotta believe that you saw some of the worst in what human beings can do and say and act toward one another and I just want to know if that's true. And did that in some way compel you to have empathy or compel you to have, what is that like? I think it forced me to find perspective because I think, and again, this is sort of my mindset and temperament is I think oftentimes when you're experiencing hardship and here's the fact, you know, your heart, you might be experiencing hardship. I might be experiencing hardship. One of ours might be relatively more. And yet that doesn't take away from the fact that you and I are both suffering hardship, right? So any hardship that anybody's ever suffering is real. And that's your hardship. And that's real trauma. And that's real challenge. For me, I often feel like the best way for me to cope with that is to put my suffering and my challenges in context. There's put it in context, put it in context. And you're telling me at 13, you're learning this. No, no. This You're is something I learned hindsight. after. I'm talking in hindsight. No. Yep. Um, at 13, I was mad. Mad. And, and, but again, my temper was not so much mad. It was just more subdued, quiet, um, withdrawn, withdrawn, insecure. I oftentimes ask, you know, people that knew me then, like, I, I was never the somebody that you pick out in a class and you're like, this kid's going to do all right or do something. Uh, were your I grades was, good? They're average, middle, middle of the pack. That's very un-Indian. Yeah, I'm very un-Indian <laughs> in many ways. You know, I the only the, the the most Indian thing about me is that I actually stay very close to my culture. 
So I, I love, you know, my grandparents, they basically raised me for those first five, six years. And my grandfather, he passed the one that really like was somebody that gave me a lot of values over time. And he, he really felt like another father figure. He passed away last year and I haven't been able to go back to India since, but I'm going to go in two to three weeks and finally go back to that home, witness the, and one of the things he would always say is, he would say two things to me. And this is why I'm actually starting to think about this. He would say two things. One is he said, you need to, you need to think about God. And the second thing he would say to me is that you are great. And I say that with the context of all of the crappiness that we went through as a child, there are very few people that I felt like gave me the, the real motivation or sense of self. At that point, I needed somebody to say that. And uh, I used to make recordings of him saying that because now that I reflect, it, it really gives me that sense of purpose hmm. to keep doing. So all of that to say that I'm very un-Indian in some ways. Um, in the Indian immigrant community, there's a term called ABCD, American-born confused Desi. <laughs> and and by the way, shout out to to my friends who gave me that. And then right after that, I whip out the Hindi and man, they can't handle it. They can't handle it. They're like, this guy's not that. Your confused. grandfather, you say, instilled values. Uh huh. He instilled values. What values? The first value that he instilled in me was be fearless. 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 I love that. He was, uh, and again, it's something that I actually, if you ask me what is my weakness, uh, my strength is the ability to empathize with people and try and care because I, I love people. To me, when you said like you've seen the worst of humanity, no, you know, to me, I see it as just ignorance. You know, everybody's got their issues. I've been, I'm sure I've been an ass to some people in my life, not even knowing it. But the weakness for me in that is I sometimes don't know when to push. I sometimes don't know when to be honest with what I think. And he was somebody that served in the military. That was his way of climbing the social ladder. In India, basically, you did two things in, in the sort of the societal stratification that he, my family was in, which is you either be a farmer or you go in the military. So he went into the military. He fought three wars. He, I remember there's this one story that he always used to tell me, which is I used to be scared of ghosts like most kids. And he used to say, he used to say, Manna, that, that used to be my, my nickname for me. He used to say, so, you know, this morning I was in the, I was in the shower and a ghost walked through the door and he, 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 the ghost massaged my legs. I, 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 he washed me. There's another ghost that came out. He drove my car with me. He basically said all these ghosts were his butlers. And I was like, the ghosts are your butlers? He's like, yeah, don't you know that the ghosts are going to mess with you until they realize that you can't be messed with. And the ghosts are going to be for you. And so the first thing he always told me was be fearless. And it's something I have deeply appreciated. Mm. And the second thing was faith in God, something that he believed a lot in. Um, I'm not that religious right now, but I'm back on the hunt. I'm back on the search. And the final thing that he would always say is work hard, not for anybody else, but just for yourself. And it, I mean, he was, he, he had eight siblings, I think seven or eight siblings, and he basically was the engine for our family on my mom's side to move up in society. He sounds like a phenomenal guy. Yeah, he's a good guy. And, and, I, and, can, and I can see the regard. You can see your face changes when you talk about him. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't actually ever talked about him publicly. But like what I appreciate about the space you're doing is, you know, just 
create space for that honest conversation. And I know that most people have somebody like that in their life, hopefully. Um, and it's good. It's important to have people like that. So, yeah. We'll be right back. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career and here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid back appeal and down home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility Dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. So where do you graduate high school? 2016, sir. Where? 2016 in uh, Lexington, Massachusetts. Lexington, Massachusetts. Which, which, by the way, is basically, it's a public school, basically a private school. A really good public school. There's literally a hill in Lexington called Nobel Prize Hill, where the Nobel Prize, there's seven Nobel Prize winners that live in Lexington. Good grief. It's freaking insane. Insane. Okay, so you say you're an average student, but you went to Cal Berkeley. So you're full of crap because barely- average students don't go to Berkeley. <laughs> yeah. So how's that work? Um, average is relative. Um- <laughs> I see. Now this, now this is very Indian because yeah, this is I, have, hey, I, this I have an Indian friend yeah. who would get 
A's and A's and A's, and they'd have one A minus, and their parents would ground them for an A minus. So uh, this is where the, I- the 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 world and the expectations are stressful. Yeah. This is something I benefited a lot from, which is that my, I, I had very little expectations for my parents. They they did not impose much on me. They didn't do all that. No. And actually, if you pull up my transcripts, I had mostly Bs throughout high school, actually. Um, I was never that type of kid. When I say average, it's because, and this is, again, a personal story, and this oftentimes sounds out of touch, but it depends on where you grow up and what you're doing, um, what community you're in. Lexington was basically a feeder school for Harvard and MIT. That's where everybody lived. Good grief. And, and it's that type of you, thing. Everybody. You mean like most of the kids went to MIT and Harvard? No, no, not most, but 16 kids in every class. Wow. Which which tells you the environment that oh, it was. It must be just. It's a pressure cooker. But I, for me, again, it's about perspective and context. I I love competition. I love to compete. I love to be pushed. And so for me, it, was, it didn't feel like pressure. It just felt like. You're not as good as you think you are. And so pick yourself up and start working hard. And here's the thing, though, is I was I was so bad in the classroom. Like I, you say so bad. How bad can you be? You went to, to Cal. First of all, I got waitlisted. I barely got in. I barely got out, too, by the way. And <laughs> so I barely got I barely got out. I barely made it in. They tried to keep me there then. But for me, my brain never worked in the class. I, it was just I was never I, I have to work three times as hard as you to get a, get like a B plus. I get it. Yeah. You know what all I mean? Right. But I do. It's effort and all that. So I got to interject this quick story for you. It's hilarious. Go for it. Let me hear it. So when I was coaching a Manassas, this dude came up that, well, nobody, my first games at Manassas had three people at them. Yeah. I mean, we were four wins and what, in 95 what year, plus. What years was this? Oh man, dude. Uh, 2002. Right. Okay. Uh, is about the first yeah. year. Yeah. And literally three people in the same. It'd be 2,000 on the other side. And we yeah. had the bus driver. I bet. <laughs> the principal and a lady named Miss Guy yeah. who was like 80-year-old graduate Manassas who never missed a game. That uh-huh. was it. As we started winning and kids started coming and getting better, yeah, more fans, more people, and people from the neighborhood would want to help out. And most of them were well-intentioned and some of them were like, dudes that wanted to relive the glory days that yeah. I didn't have any yeah. time for. One of the one of those dudes showed up and said, hey, you know, you didn't need help coaching. I, I'm good on the D-line. Yeah. And I said, well, let, let's talk about that. Yeah. And I said, you know, what did you, did you play ball? He said, yeah, I played at Cal. Cal now, Berkeley, yeah. Yeah. Now, this is a guy uh-huh. who's from North Memphis who didn't have a job. Yeah. And... Wow. Um, said he went to to Cal. Wow, Cal. And I said, really? And I said, you played football, Cal? And he said, yeah. And I said, wow, that's interesting. And I said, so you graduated from Cal? Uh-huh. And he's like, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> I left early. Hold it. Yeah, I left early. I went overseas <laughs> to chase that big money and played in Canada. Football. Hold it. Listen to what I just said. Uh-huh. I went overseas to chase to the big money and went to Canada. Hey, there's a great lake. Last time I looked, there wasn't <laughs> an ocean a, between a, Cal and Canada, at which point I said, thanks, man. We'll give you a call if we can use you. But that was pretty much my full exposure to Cal from Memphis. Have you ever been to Berkeley? What's that? Have you ever been to Berkeley? Yeah, once. 
It's a once. crazy place. So it's when did you go? What year? Uh, five, six years ago, just passing okay. through. Lisa and I drove up the coast. and You did the one? Went, well, yeah, we went to Pepperdine, yeah. saw that campus, went to Cal. That, how do you think, did you see how freaking beautiful that campus was? Pe- Pepperdine? How do you get any work done on that campus? How, how do you, how do you ever leave? When you're on, when you're midway you're on campus, a yeah, <laughs> and you're and there's deer walking across the campus, and the campus is below you, and then there's, there's the, the Pacific Ocean. But yeah. worse, go to a baseball game. I would never watch a ball get pitched because you got the. Oh, it's gorgeous. Yeah. It's beautiful. I gave but, a speech. I gave a speech up there, and midway through, I forgot my words because the sun was set. <laughs> Over the ocean. Just and I was like, the beauty yeah, of the let sun. me just say, like, there's, look, you could hear me talk. That's much more. Rare. Yeah, it's absolutely <laughs> but gorgeous. But anyways, so you went up and you went to. Berkeley. So, but that's my question. You show yeah. up to Cal, right? Yeah. yeah. First blush, feel. Yeah. How'd you feel when you got that the campus and, you know, how did how did this eighteen year old kid who's moved all over the place went to this crazy competitive high school gets to Cal? What were your first impressions of it as a kid, as a freshman? Yeah. I mean. What was that like? And the context here, by the way, is like I grew up in a village in India interspersed. I yeah, and you showed up like to Staten America Island. with Maddie up stinky I, I, hair. I lived in Staten Island. We lived in an apartment where like I we would play a game of what cockroach is the fattest that you've seen today. You know, <laughs> like, so I'm giving you context because it's fascinating to see. And this is, again, credit to my parents. You know, we have complicated family dynamics, but putting all that aside, that's something that, you know, nobody can ever take away from them and their hard work. But given all that context, I get come to Berkeley. And what's interesting is first of all, Berkeley's like the size of a small country. Yeah. Like there's like 60,000 kids there. It's, it's like UT. It's you know? huge. Um, it's huge. It's massive. And the second thing is that I came as a, somebody that was probably going to be a pre-med student. Right. And you and I talked about this and I had done debate in high school and I really got this bug of like, I kind of like this idea of beating up people with my words, you know? And I was like, I kind of like this idea. And I wasn't that great at it. I was average. Again, I was average. I had never found my thing. And so I had this debate thing. I had come in as kind of a pre-med person. I took my bio class. And the crazy thing about Cal was that, again, it put you in your place. What I love about public schools in this country, as opposed to private, like IB schools, I just came from University of Notre Dame, which is a beautiful private school, is that how do you win in an environment where there's no advisors and no coddling and 60,000 people? You have to fight for it. And that was essentially that first semester. It's crazy though, is second semester, I had this inkling, President Trump had just been elected. I had that political bug. Like I was interested in politics because of debate, but I was still interested in sort of trying to do the med thing because of my parents. And also because I felt like that was something that I wanted to do as well at that time. And then we had so Trump, we had this pre-med thing, and campus is crazy. Berkeley is oftentimes known as the the Republic of Berkeley. Uh, you know, its politics are off the charts. And it started becoming a centerpiece for a lot of tumult. And a lot of those things that you today say are culture war issues at that point were at the forefront of campus, but not mainstream. February 2nd, 2017, the college Republicans invite the speaker to campus by the name of Milo Yiannopoulos. All right, hang on. Yeah. You're getting there. Yeah. But first. Yeah. And we're going to this next. You're competing. You're trying to find your place. You're fitting in. Your mother wants you to be a doctor and you're being pre-med and you're doing that. But you love debate and clearly 
you have an inkling toward an interest in the public debate. Maybe yeah. not politics, yes, but the public not politics, debate. No. But the public debate. Yeah. Well, you're in the right place because it's Berkeley. Yeah. Because they will protest protesting. They protest everything. They will protest protesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. If they're protesting, let's protest their protest. That's my joke about Berkeley. Well, it's true, right? And sometimes the, the things that they protest are, it'll make you pause. It'll give us one. Pause. I mean, a, a great example. Give us a ridiculous protest. Well, in this case, they weren't actually, they were just made up in issues so that they didn't have to go to class. <laughs> and again, this is like to all my, this is not me throwing shade at Cal. Like there's a lot of people that protest legitimate things. We have a lot of union stuff there. All the employees are unionized. There's a lot of actual. I'm not saying things. all but, protests are ridiculous. I'm, I'm talking saying, about some I'm of them Co are. Coach Bill, let's just say that Berkeley holds the record for how many publicly nude people I've seen. Oh, really? Absolutely. It's a fascinating Is being place. nude part of a protest or are you protesting I've seen, I've seen nudity? Protesters, I've, no, I've seen protesters be nude. I've seen protesters protesting nudity. I've seen people, uh, animal rights folks, doused in fake blood on campus, you know, sitting in a cage, a fake cage. I've seen uh, <laughs> Christian preachers stand there talking about the fact that, like, the heavens are going to break tomorrow. You know, uh, Berkeley is a place that attracts interesting people that, like, have deep convictions, crazy people. And normal people that are just trying to get a job. <laughs> and, and, and I fit that ladder, most latter category. I, I think I would protest naked people protesting. Would you be naked doing it? Uh, have you seen me? <laughs> no. In Berkeley would fly. In Berkeley would fly. No. Not, not this guy. <laughs> Suffice it to say, though, <laughs> if you're a freshman and you're rolling up to this atmosphere, oh man, it's it's and a 2016 just happened. Yeah, President it's a culture Trump shock, right? It, it's got to be a yeah. little bit of culture shock. Oh, yeah. and, but the other thing I would think is that after a while, you get a little numb to the protest. It's yeah. almost like, hold it, why isn't anybody protesting today? Yeah, when they, I mean, protests are yeah. so common that they almost lose their bite because everybody's always protesting something. Protest. It's like, whatever. Yeah. But that changed on the day you're about to tell us about because this became more than a protest. Yes. So tell us about this day that ultimately changed the direction of your life. But first, a few messages from our sponsors. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade 
with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. If you were telling me this is what I would be doing, what what day is it today? You know, October 3rd, 2023. Oh, Timestamp. There you okay, go, we, Alex. Oh, I right, didn't do right, it. The guest did it. I can't, I can't say the date, guys. Sorry, it's, uh, you know what? We're going us through. Being live, and That's so, too bad. He can get over it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We're on October third um, today. Uh, so let's an army let's of normal going. folks in a full fledged time stamp. <laughs> I love it. Alex is like the time portal guy. Yeah, um, he is. he's very upset. But about essentially, that. yeah, February second, twenty seventeen. I was walking back from the seminar. One other thing I didn't tell you was because I was waitlisted to college. Berkeley has 60,000 kids. Now it's even more, I'm pretty sure. They don't have enough housing for students. So they have a, they have a homeless student population, believe it or not. You're kidding um, me. No, I'm being serious. Well, somebody a, should protest that. Yeah. They, see, that's what I'm saying. If you protest everything, you lose the bite on the issues that actually matter. Like, right. You know, that's it. So that's the problem. You've solved Berkeley's issues in like 10 minutes. And so <laughs> essentially, I would be – so I was a part of this program they've now shut down called the Fall Program for Freshmen, San Francisco. Now, Berkeley, if you know anything about the geography, Berkeley's on this side of the bay and San Francisco's on this side of the bay. Nobody told me that for the entirety of first semester, every morning at 7 a.m., they would bus me on the F bus all the way to San Francisco to take class. I was so average that when I got there, I wasn't good enough to take class in Berkeley. And so I would take a bus every morning with some of my friends that are now still my friends, the F bus, would show up to FPF Berkeley or FPF San Francisco take class there, and then bus back. You know what's really ironic, by the way, now? I live two blocks from FPF San Francisco <laughs> now. But that's a whole nother thing. So I'm doing this busing thing. Second semester, they're like, okay, now you can, you've earned your spot. We've enrolled some new kids. You can take classes on campus. So I start taking classes on campus. Now I'm walking back from this math seminar, right? And so it's February 2nd, 2017. So we're about three weeks into this semester. I'm walking back and... That day, that day specifically, I remember I wanted to walk. I love sunsets and nature's a big thing for me. And so the way that the sun sets in Berkeley 
the way that the Main Street Telegraph intersects on campus, you can see the sun setting over the Pacific Ocean right above the Golden Gate Bridge. It's beautiful. Wow, but that and is amazing. It's, it's amazing. And the bridge is very far away. I've seen that see from it. the Presidio, believe it or Which not. Which is, it's a much better view, but because Berkeley's all the way across the bay, but you can right. see it in the distance. And then suddenly I hear like helicopters flying overhead and shouting in the distance. And I have the exact same reaction you just did, which is like, it's Berkeley. You know, we protest yeah. everything. There's helicopters. There, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, somebody's getting protested. Hopefully it's a real issue. And um, then this cafe window is broken in and inside where it was a Cal dining hall where the food, where the food is served for students. And inside it said, CNN, UC Berkeley students protest free speech. I was like, wait, this is actually something different. What was crazy was that the film crew that was filming that was standing right next to me. And you're seeing it. And I'm seeing it. And that was like the breaking the fourth wall where, you know, like most of us are usually the normal people are just observers of politics, you know, of media, all these things. Suddenly, I actually felt like a participant. I went from being an observer to a participant. And so then the question became, what do I want to do next? Well, as the curious, angsty, pre-med interested political Berkeley student I was, I was like, I'm going to go into the middle of it. And so I heard the shouting. We went into Sproul Plaza and I have these pictures on my phone still. And I went into Sproul Plaza and there you had hundreds of students protesting this guy's speech. Now you're like, who's this guy? What's his speech? The speaker came to campus in Milo Yiannopoulos at the College Republicans Invited. Now, for anybody that's listening, Milo is this like random kind of provocateur guy. He's not interested in good faith conversations. He's basically been sidelined now at that time. But he was heavy, right? He was heavy at that time. He was very big at that time. And he would he would do this college tour thing where he would basically show up and like provoke angry college liberals and like say stupid things about them and get them really angry and frustrated in some ways actually like attack them. Basically, he made a living out of bullying people. That was his thing. And which let's be honest, there's nothing good about that. Nothing good about it. But, it did nothing for his cause. But it's his right. It's his right. Exactly. So what happened, you go to it's his right. What's fascinating about Berkeley is now this is 2017, right? These protests are happening. Students are protesting. In defense of my fellow students, what we found out was also that outside groups came in because the other thing about Berkeley is it attracts a bunch of people. So a lot of far right people show up, a lot of far left people show up. It's basically a way for people to get a platform. And so all these people start showing up. The history now of this place is in the 60s, Sproul Plaza was where Dr. King spoke. It's where Mario Savio started the free speech movement. At that time, the liberals were on the side of, you know, at least the the very extreme ones were on the side of free speech. And so it was such a fascinating cultural shift. You could see it happening in front of you. Um, it's almost like Memphis in some ways. You know, you go to certain places and they've changed completely. And I saw in those protests violence. I saw students crying. I saw a journalist whose face was punched. His nose was broken in. The stores were shattered. There was hundreds of police officers. They brought in California State Police, CPD. And, and let's let's be candid. This is all because people who didn't agree with what this far right guy had to say yeah. were were doing everything they could to keep him from saying from whatever saying. it was he wanted to say, which is the irony of it's the, it's irony the, of the complete moment. opposite of free speech. So there's two things I'll say to this, because this is a little bit of a caveat, and this is where actually people get holed up because they're like, all right, so Coach Bill Manure not talking about this far right 
person being protested, they must be a bunch of conservatives that care about free speech. And that's not the message. Because first of all, free speech should not be a liberal or conservative value. It's an American value. It's a human value. And Couldn't second, agree more. And secondarily is that free speech is throughout history, it's the value that people use that feel like they're under attack because it's your weapon. It's your access card to society. So in the 60s, it was those anti-war protesters and liberals and civil rights activists. So for them, free speech was a thing. Now, a lot of conservatives on campuses feel under attack, and so it's their thing. What we have to recognize is that free speech is a value that moves the society forward. And it's very short-sighted to say, well, Manu and Coach Bill are talking about this far right getting kicked off. This is where I sign off on this podcast because it must mean that there are a bunch of conservatives that want you know liberal kids to get hurt. No. So here's the two things I'll say now about that moment. First, is you and I, the intent of those protests was to shut down Milo. We're now six years later, we're still talking about him. That protest single-handedly raised this guy's profile to the stratosphere. That is interesting and true. His name, you and I are only talking about him because he got protested that day. That day, if nothing had happened, I probably would not be doing what I'm doing and you and I probably would have never met. And we sure and, would be talking about this guy. And this Greek-British dude would have no relevance. So that's the first thing is let's try to understand and let's not let this moment convolute our tactics. And the second thing is the question of like, well, who's allowed to speak and who's not? This is where I think it's a little bit of an onus on the people that are inviting these speakers and bringing on these people. It's, you know, what's your goal? What's your intention? I, I do think that a part of it is to stir the pot a little bit. You're trying to provoke a little bit. You know, if you actually want real conservative thought on that campus at that time, bring somebody semi-serious, you know, um, and simultaneously for my liberal friends and, and, and folks recognize that protest is very important. But at that moment, us protesting him only led to not only more violence, but the campus community was shaken. I think it cost the university a million dollars in damages, a million and a half. And forget the UC system. I mean, they've got to tell Well, them, and my but, understanding is a lot of that was caused by people that weren't even Berkeley students. Yeah. Was, and they were masked. It was, it was outside groups. And were they not masked? Yes. A lot of them were masked. Um, it was outside groups. And what that also did, by the way, was it set a precedent for now over the next three, four years, you would see rallies on campus and in communities that had nothing to do with the students, but people knew that if they went to Berkeley, it's just a cultural iconic place. And so they're going to get attention. I want to tell you a story about yeah. my alma mater. Yeah. James Meredith was the first black man admitted to the University of Mississippi. And Kennedy was the president mm -hmm. then. And there were three days of riots and people died. Mm -hmm. What they found out, the FBI found out after they did the investigation, is that the student body was there doing what student body does. Mm -hmm. But the gunfire and the true violence were from people from four different states, not from the University of Mississippi. So while there was protest and, yeah. and there was it was the heart of the civil rights question and there was all kinds of things that went on that were wrong um, that hopefully history will show that we continue to try to do well with and continue to prove on. The point is the vast majority of the violence and everything yeah. came from outside the city, outside the state, and outside the campus. Mm. But what happens is situations like that give a theater and a platform to the crazies. Yeah. 
And it sounds to me like that's what happened at Cal that day. Have you heard the term conflict entrepreneurs? Oh, yeah. So sure. one of one of uh, our good friends, name is Monica Guzman and her friend, Amanda Ripley. Amanda wrote this book, I think it was last year or two years ago, called Healthy Conflict. And one of the things that comes up in that book is that right now, the people that divide us, and this is something I say a lot, is my assumption and belief is that I think Coach Bill, the people that divide us understand human nature better than the people trying to bring us together. Oh, I think and, I think you could I think you could fill gymnasiums full of those people who currently work in our um in our national media yep. with I, with that one skill. Yep. And and I call it the outrage industrial complex. Mm -hmm. And the idea behind that is that people understand that you and I have a much stronger propensity to hate each other than love each other. I think hate is like gasoline. It burns really quickly, but it disappears also pretty quickly. Um, yeah. But it's very quick. It's high propensity. I think love is like rocket fuel. It takes a while to ignite, but once it ignites and sustains, it's very strong. And I think the problem right now is because our attention spans are so minuscule, because, you know, you and I have to go after this podcast and produce all these short clips because people can't watch things more than 10 seconds, because we barely ever now interact with people that are different than us, because, you know, somebody that lives in Washington, D.C. and somebody that lives in Richmond only probably drive between those cities and have never interacted with anybody between those two cities. For all of those reasons and the siloing and the fact that our politicians are now capturing and capitalizing on that, you've got people that are turning us into tools for their money. And then you and I are giving up on each other because we're buying into their bullshit. And that's basically the moment. So, And that's what those people, those people that show up to campus, that's what they're doing. Before you were in school, one of the things that I learned when I was a young man was this phrase. I may vehemently disagree with everything that comes out of your mouth, but I will fight to my death for your right to say it. Mm. That was a very strong American ideal for many, 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 many years. And I think we've lost it. Mm. And I think that's what was lost in Berkeley that day. Why do you think we've lost it? Because you've seen America much more than I have. You've lived here longer. You know things. What What's your assessment? Money and power. Money and power. I think there's, um, I think there's an enormous amount of power and wealth that has been generated in places like New York and our media centers, and an enormous amount, far too much money and power generated in the halls of Congress. And that, like you say, people have developed a unique skill and a and a keen understanding that I can generate more money and power if I can divide. Um, because if I can scare the hell out of people and divide them and get them into my camp, I can use that fear to generate more power for myself and therefore more money. And I believe narratives and politics are crafted in order to sustain and grow that money and power. Um, and I think we got to fix that, which is why your story is so important. Mm -hmm. Because after all this happened on in, in Cal, something happened inside of you. And 
it leads to what you're doing today. So tell me about, I think it was 12 of you, right? Tell me about that. Yeah. You know, by the way, I have to say one thing. The fact that you just recall that it was 12, just for anybody that's listening, Coach Bill's a busy, busy man. The fact that you remembered that means a lot to me. Because well, it, it means that hey, that's a tough thing to do. And somebody that also does this and learning from you and hearing from you, um, I think one of the things that you're doing powerfully, especially in this conversation, but in general, and what I think will is part of what we need to try and flip this problem in the set is you're making somebody feel like their story matters. Your story does matter. Okay, but the point is that right now, I think a lot of people just feel feel purposeless. I think a lot of people feel lost. I, I think- agree. I don't know that. I, I don't know that I'll agree with you that a lot of people feel purposeless, but I absolutely agree with you that a lot of people feel lost. And I don't mean lost inside their own homes, but I mean lost in our culture. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's That's our freaking culture. It is not DC's culture. It is not New York's culture. It's our culture. And until an army of normal folks take that culture back, we're going to continue to feel lost in it. And I think that's a shame. And I think that's, that's why you're here is because I think the work you're doing is one of the things that helps fix that. But I got to have our listeners here. Why the 12 and what (laughs) you did? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so those 12 people were essentially not, not an army, but a squad. <laughs> you, you were a, 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 a beat we, up platoon. Yeah, we, were, we were smaller than a platoon. We <laughs> yeah, you were, were smaller than a yeah, platoon. Yeah, we were, we were a squad. A squad. We were a squad. With a squad like, of Berkeley people. Of Berkeley people, which is very not formidable. Um, and so <laughs> so uh, essentially what happened was that next day, right? After, after, after the protest, after, after the people violence, were, were maced, noses were broken, a hundred sub thousand, the police jumped in, yeah. they shut down campus, yeah. helicopters, and ultimately the campus decided, well, this guy can't speak, it's too dangerous, yeah. and they pulled him. Yeah, they pulled him. And- so for the day, the protesters won, but as you so well put it, we're talking about them six years later. So ultimately, they lost. They won. They won the battle, and they really lost the war. They lost the war. They but lost the war. The next day, you and the twelve. So me and the twelve. Uh, you should be called disciples. <laughs> we should. There were twelve of those. There, there were, there were. It's funny. So I did not know any of these people, and the next day, what happened was that all these students suddenly were rattled. I mean, imagine your campus just goes upside down overnight. You have like every television crew there. Every and and there. even in a place where protest on protest no, on protest, even, even in, was, in Berkeley, this was like kind of like eye-opening yeah, or shattering. You can, and you, I don't know the exact fact here, but I'm pretty sure it was one of, if not the largest protests since the 60s anti-war protests. Wow. So in terms of damage, in terms of impact, in terms of narrative, and um, the next day, essentially, it was a very human emotion. It was, I mean, I just felt bad for campus. That was it. And I think a lot of people felt bad. And so what we started doing was a lot of kids started showing up to Sprout Plaza. And we essentially started just picking up the trash, picking up the broken bottles. These kids, I felt I was so proud of that community at that time and it showed me the best of humanity. It was like, you know, forget all of this for a second. Like, let's just, let's just help out our community. That's You it. know, that reminds me of the, of the, of the, the, um, the citizens in Ferguson afterwards uh-huh. that were out in the streets cleaning up After the protest, and it didn't yeah. matter which side of that you were on. Yeah. They were just trying to clean up. Their community. Our community was hurting. That was yeah. it. And, and that's where the human of our democracy comes in. And so there, then after people started picking up stuff, these like mini groups of people started forming just naturally. And each of these groups, people were like saying like, you know, I can do this to help or 
what just happened? And I, I, because it's Berkeley, I call them therapy circles. And so these <laughs> kids are all like, you know, commiserating and all of us are commiserating together. And suddenly, randomly, I go into this one circle and there's a couple people there and they're like, hey, you know, we were thinking about creating this organization that was focused on bridging political differences. And this just happened. Talk about political differences. This is a tsunami. And I was like, well, what if we, and we were like, what if we created a, like, this literally in this group, it's like, maybe our first event could be, let's just talk about this. And essentially what we did was a couple of days later, and between this interim, I essentially circulated this petition on campus because there's this bad rap going around that UC Berkeley students were violent. And it wasn't us students. It was just the random people from the outside. We circulated this petition, published it on the news. It said UC Berkeley students condemn violence. I had circulated across campus. And again, it was just like my tiny attempt to like try and do my part. It wasn't anything substantial. Then we held that discussion. And man. How many people show up? So this is crazy. So mind you, I have like no background in organizing or anything like this. Like the the closest I've been to organizing is, you know, like dissecting a frog in biology class. Like there's there's literally no intuition here. All we did was we started flyering on our dorms and we like threw flyers to all of our friends. We say, hey, like we're going to host this discussion. And a bunch of people are like, is this a civic architecture frat? Because it was called Bridge Berkeley. It's like, which bridge are you going to build? I was like, do I look like I can build a bridge? <laughs> And so we like, we, we held this discussion and I think like 80 to 75 to like 85 people showed up in a classroom that was meant for, I think 30 people. And hey, give me the demographics of yeah, that so 80 this, people. This is what's cool about it is the people that came were some of the people that invited the speaker. It was some of the people that protested the speaker. There were some faculty there. There's some administrators there. It was a real group of some of the key stakeholders in that environment. And everybody, what can you imagine? Imagine you're holding a town hall meeting, you're attending your local PTA or school board meeting, and something very controversial happened. What happens? Everybody shows up with their guards up. It's like, we're ready to fight or I'm ready to like not say anything. It's exactly what happened. And this is where the group of us that helped organize this, who are now some of my best friends and still work on this organization, Bridge USA with me, what we did was we just relied on our instinct. It's like, okay, imagine you have a room of a bunch of stodgy people that hate each other and probably misperceive each other's intentions. How do you help them break through? Well, let's start just talking about our vulnerabilities and stories. Here's an idea. Yeah. Let's have a conversation. Let's have a conversation. Let's have a civil, non-threatening chat about importing stuff and see what we think of one another. Now you sound like an alien. Now I sound like what? An alien. Well, (laughs) what I'm saying to you, I have said in keynote speeches, I've said in stages, it's it's in my book. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the fundamental tenet of my book against the grain. We got to go against the grain of, of, of societal preconceived notion that if you don't think like me, you must be my enemy. And we got to get out of our vacuums and our comfort zones and talk. So. I agree with all of that. And as a young person, when somebody says, so what's your like innovative product? And I'm like, nothing. <laughs> I'm like, what, what, what are we innovating? And so like, when you say that, like, I have to ask, like, I always ask people that have much more life experience than me. I'm like, to me, it just sounds like family dynamics. I'm like, let's talk to each other. It, to me, it sounds like two parents 
you know, navigating a divorce. You know, this stuff is not complicated. And I think like in this hyper technical environment, and that's what happened. Actually, I think our naivete in that moment, organizing that actually helped us. It because, sounds like it. Yeah, because we were naive. We we're like, but, well, and it was it was. It was um, legitimately a, a a heartfelt outreach. Yes, and nobody convinced you yet that uh, that was stupid. Yep, yep. And we had no idea the challenge we were embarking on. Oh, I bet. But that's the best part is when you start a journey. I mean, when you were coaching that football team, I bet one of the tenets of it is don't look how far away that championship is. <laughs> Stay by day. We'll be right back. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional. You can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. When you get these people together and they start talking about yes. their realities, and I can their imagine life. you've got a college Republican and you've got somebody who'd formerly been naked uh, protesting about <laughs> some animals or something in the same room. Yeah. My, my belief set is, and I, I'm testing yeah. this with you. Yeah. My belief set is that we all want safety 
We all want health. We all want our families to do well. We all want our children to be better than we were. Now, we all may think there's 15 different ways to go about that, but we all ultimately kind of want the same Maslow hierarchy of needs to be filled. Does hearing that people want the same thing, although they want to go about getting it differently, does at least hearing that people want the same thing have any kind of calming effect on the room? It does, but I think what helps even more is to share each other's suffering. Hmm. Learn now about that's each other's interesting. Suffering. I actually think that the most powerful tool, the the knife that cuts through hot butter, is vulnerability. I think when you and I actually can see each other's vulnerability and have a no BS, honest understanding that this was your hardship and this is why you are what you are. And here's an example of my vulnerability. I think suddenly what it does is it makes us fundamentally human. Which means that empathy leads to understanding. Exactly. And that's when you can start talking about common values. Hmm. Because I think it's the difference between showing and telling. And, you know, when I talk about my childhood and growing up, Imagine if the only thing you talked and said to the the amazing people that are listening to this right now is when you went to a competitive public high school next to Harvard and MIT, then went to Cal Berkeley, and now leads a nonprofit organization. And he flew in from Chicago today. They think this guy's probably an asshole. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so what you did was you're like, all right, let's like actually go through your life. Let's have a conversation about who you are, why you do what you do. Tell me about your grandfather. Um, I'm sure not all of that was relatable to everybody, but pieces were. And I think vulnerability devastates and creates the pathway for love. It is so strong. I've seen so in times. this room, are people vulnerable? 100%. How, how, why, why do people come to, you know what? Yeah. I think I know why. I'm going to answer my own question. No, I'm not. I'm going to let you answer it. But I'm going to tell you what I think. I think maybe the shock of what happened on campus allowed people to maybe be vulnerable in that moment. Yes. So. That's, I would say, 75% of it, which is it got so bad that people for a second were like, let's just exit this game and like understand that real people were hurt. You know, this is this is not fun and games anymore. This is real. This is what happens when you invite somebody, you protest, and it all becomes a cocktail. So that's a piece of it is that when things get so bad, I think people come back to it. But the other piece of this was that they actually did not show up ready to be vulnerable. As I said, most people showed up with their guards up. It's very natural. So that's where I think leadership comes into play. That's where the people that are in that room have to model what you're looking for. And the first thing that we did, the the 12 of us that were helping to organize this were like, we shared our story. Forget all this. Like we talked about, this is where I come from. This is who I am. This is what I believe. This is why I believe what I believe. And you suddenly create a norm of honesty. It's as simple as if everybody in this room wasn't wearing shoes and I walked in, I would probably take off my shoes. Okay. Everybody's not wearing shoes. That's the norm. It's about setting a norm. You set a norm and then you enforce that norm and you enforce and you say, Hey, look, if you don't want to follow this norm, I'm sorry. This isn't the space for you. No problem. We didn't have to do that to anybody because when people started seeing each other share, then you kind of feel, I can't be left out of this. It creates social pressure. Hmm. And it also says, well, Hey, I want you to hear my story. I want you to hear my story. And that's essentially what a bridge discussion does is it creates a space 
that is safe for liberals and structured for conservatives. Say that again. Safe for liberals and structured for conservatives. Why do liberals need safety and conservatives need structure? I'm not smart enough to answer that question, but I know that's what they want. Wow. So that's just, I get conjectures, but I don't even like to create those divides. But the reason I'm saying very openly is because, again, it's about meeting people where they are, right? So we've created the space. The second part about the space is that it's peer-led. So there isn't some faculty facilitating this. There isn't some, it's the members of your own community, right? It's like, if you have something that happened in your school board meeting, you want the teachers there and the teachers talking to teachers, right? It's peer led, no power dynamics. The third thing that's really powerful about this is you're setting these norms. Each bridge discussion is four norms. You listen to listen, not to respond. You don't interrupt or have side conversations. Each of us represents ourselves, not larger social groups. So you don't represent all white Americans. I don't represent all the confused daisies out there. And, <laughs> and, you know. Do you realize there's plenty of confused white people? Well, you please? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's for you to decide. Yeah. 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 And. C-W-O-A. C-W-O-A. That's funny. Confused should, white people of America. You should change the name of that. <laughs> I don't know. Kawa. But, but, but in case anybody's wondering whether they see is um, a word for Indian people that Indians use in Hindi. And then the fourth norm is that you respond to the argument, not the person. So like, let's say you said- I love that. So you said something- That's to me yeah. is the definition of civility. Yeah. But here's where I'll push back really quickly is we never use the word civility. And the reason we don't use the word civility is because I think that we live at this moment where a lot of people are hurting and they want change, left or right, doesn't matter. A lot of people, there's a reason why the conflict entrepreneurs can make money off of that. And so what we found is we initially used to call it civility because that's what makes sense to me as well. But what we found was as people started hearing the word civility, they thought, oh, this is some kumbaya, let's hold hands. Hmm. Civility does not evoke that feeling of healthy conflict. Because what we're doing these discussions is oftentimes the objective is not for you and I to arrive at a common understanding. Oftentimes, it's for you and I to understand why you and I disagree with each other. Because that gets us somewhere, right? And And importantly... We can't lose the fact that if we want more and more people to have these dialogues, these conversations, they have to feel like they're entering the space, not having to feel like they have to grind down their edges. Show up with your edges. Show up with your fight. The problem is not whether we're fighting. The problem is how we're fighting. Of course, it's be in fun. other words, it's okay. I mean, it's not what you say, but how you say it. It's not what you say. It's how you say it, but also how you engage. So... So all of those four norms, right, listen to listen rather than to respond, is not telling you to suddenly disband your ideas, saying listen to your ideas for a second, right? When I say respond to the argument, not the person, show up with your argument. But just because if Coach Bill says something that you disagree with, that does not make Coach Bill an evil person. You might think the argument's dumb, and that's fine. Let's have that conversation. But right now, we're not even having the conversation, right? I, I love this. I, I, you are putting into practice stuff that I've talked about for years. Um, I, I, I mean, I absolutely love this. So we got to we got to tie it together, though. Sure. You have this first meeting. What happens after that? We have a second meeting where five people show up. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, not so no, good. nobody showed up. I'm honest. So nobody showed up. And and this is part of again normal people doing stuff like you know this is when you're building something, it's really hard to build anything or do anything. Nobody showed up. And the reason why nobody showed up is because a lot of rumors started flying about what happened in this space. And a mm. lot of people people didn't want to believe what happened. And and also probably couldn't. Couldn't believe what happened. Especially at Berkeley. At Berkeley. At Berkeley. And then what we did was we said, well, let's actually intentionally pursue this because I, I don't know what it is, but I love what I love about my work the most is I love the idea of somebody walking into a room, sitting down and leaving 10, 20, 30 minutes later, completely changed about their expectations of somebody that's different than them. It is like one of the coolest experiences ever. That is one of the coolest things It's in the transformative. World. I've and seen it doesn't it before, happen every time. It Sometimes it backfires. No, you know? it does. I but get that. But that's the arduous process of building. And so what we did was we held the next discussion. Five people showed up. We're like, damn, we didn't market that. We didn't do anything. We just assumed people are going to show up again. Now it's like two weeks out of this event, right? And so classic marketing, you got to step in. You got to start building. And so we we're like, hey, let's actually build an infrastructure here. So we got a team. Those 12 people, we all took our roles. We started doing our thing. Each of us was doing something. And then what happened was we had one faculty member sitting in that discussion named Bill Shireman, same first name as you. And Bill Shireman, who's now the chair of our board, was sitting in the back of the classroom and he knew these two people at Notre Dame and at Colorado Boulder. Notre Dame, this guy named Roger Karma, and at Colorado Boulder, this woman named Cortland Carpenter. And believe it or not, they had built something called Bridge CU and Bridge ND. Because the idea of bridging seems like a very normal metaphor. And they connected and they started creating this thing. They were like, what if we built this on different campuses? And Bill came up to us and said, well, let's make this full on Bridge Berkeley and let's combine everything. And so we're like, okay. And so we, we started doing this stuff, but we weren't thinking about a national organization, no vision, nothing. But we just kept holding those discussions. People started showing up. It became a name on campus. And, and the people that are showing up, yes, there's some faculty and all that there, but it's, we're talking about college kids. College kids. And here's the other thing, just to quickly fast forward, just so people understand. Now they're thinking, well, this must be probably for just elite college kids at Berkeley and Harvard and Stanford and whatever. No, we have yet to have a single Ivy League school chapter. We now have high school chapters. We have 60 college chapters, 20 high school chapters. We're growing almost five, six chapters a month right now. Um, the goal is to scale that up because the demand is really high. But the other thing I'll say is on the college side, the goal is let's go to our community colleges. Let's go to our vocational schools. One of our best chapters, one of the top, the first seven chapters is a college named Lynn Benton Community College up in Northern Oregon, in the border of Lynn County and Benton County. And the point of all of that is for me to say that this work is highly not only accessible, but normal people are doing it, not just elite college kids. And that's powerful because that's they take it back hugely to powerful. But doing it is is getting a group together of people from all different walks of life, religious, political, social and cultural belief sets and talking. It's just doing the American experiment. That's it. There's literally again, there's nothing profound about what I'm doing. I am so looking forward to the day when somebody's like, you know what? I'm going to steal this IP because the moment they steal that IP, the country's going to be back on track. 
Because our IP is just human nature. It's like, let's have a conversation, talk to each other. And then I look forward to the day of like retreating to the medical books. Give me one of your greatest stories of a meeting that you've experienced and watched two people from alternate realities find commonness. So I'm going to give you another Berkeley story because it connects actually a couple things you talk about. It connects the student homelessness question. It connects protesters and it connects the power of a group discussion. Was anybody naked? Nobody was naked. Okay. Nobody perfect. was naked. I, Nobody was naked. PG. Though, though, though the, the, well, I'll tell you the context. So a couple of quick context facts. Berkeley has this place called People's Park. Now, People's Park has a lot of interesting people in it, to say the least. And it was basically a place created in about the 50s, 60s that now has become this massive ground for, you know, everybody from like drug addicts to hippies to people that want to live in Berkeley to homeless people. It's just a thing. Now, as I said, Berkeley is also a massive college and there's a homelessness problem with students because there's not enough space for university to build housing. <clears throat> and so 2019, which was our junior year. So this is a uh, fall of 2019. I might be wrong on the month, but fall of 2019, I'm pretty sure this crisis speaking, the university proposes, let's build a building on people's park. And man, it started a whole nother shindig, right? They're like people's park. This is the people's place. It's been around and oddly enough, in this case, the students are actually protesting the the very you know interesting people's park people because they're like, "Yo, we need housing." Yo, we need housing, we, but not here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so, but but a lot of kids also wanted that housing because they were like, "We just we need a place to live." And Berkeley rent, just to give you context, by the way, I lived in one of the cheapest and most crime ridden parts of the city, where like the next year, tragically, a student lost his life, like down the street, eight hundred dollars a month rent. Wow. 850. That's the cheapest. So it's just giving you context for how crazy the housing is there. For a student. For a student. And there's no dorms beyond freshman year. So you got to live in that rent or you're you got to figure something out. Point of all this is we said, hey, let's let's host a discussion. Now there's a wonderful partner organization that your your audience might be interested in knowing because you're like, hey, we're adults. We don't we're not on college camps. So what do we do? It's a great partner organization called Braver Angels that has these associations across the country. And so we called them up because we're like, this could be a really big discussion. And so they have this thing called the Braver Angels debate, where it's a very similar to a bridge discussion with some sort of caveat. So putting that aside for a second, we're like, let's let's hold a discussion and let's hold this debate. Let's bring everybody in. So we invite the homeless students. They show up. We invite the protesters in People's Park. Um, we extended an invitation to the administration, but I don't think they showed up. We invited some Berkeley city officials. And we had a room of, I would say, 75, 80 people that were all sort of key people that were affected. So not like randos that have no personal stake in the issue, like actual people that have opinions. And it started off just like the Milo thing. And this is a common pattern. When you put humans together in a room that fundamentally mistrust each other and have their guards up, how are they going to show up? Not ready to communicate. By the end, so this initial person was like, I'm going to protest this. He, he showed up, sat down, and then stood up and said, I'm going to protest this. I was like... Yeah, give it a moment. Just give it a chance. He's like, no, no, no I'm going to protest this right now. You know what's hilarious is by the end of this conversation, Coach Bill, that guy was participating the most in the conversation. He was one of the homeless people that came and he brought his posse of people and they were jumping in. You got homeless students, you got Cal students, you got homeless people, you got, and by the end of it, we actually broke some common ground. And what came out of that discussion was a real proposal around what could be done. And I don't remember the specifics, but the process of it was like, 
I was like, this is again, time and time again, we underestimate how common we are and we overestimate how different we are. And we've completely given up on the process of this, which is a conversation. And so now I'll tell you what my challenge is. My challenge is what we experienced after that Milo event where only five people showed up, which is you work in the lumber business. If a tree falls down a forest, nobody saw that tree fell, it never fell. If nobody sees this work happening and they only see the crazy people in the news, they're never going to believe it. And so what we have to do is, and what you're doing with this podcast is build a cultural movement and a change where you're empowering everyday people to say that that's not okay and this is possible. So sorry, that was another tirade, but like that was one more example that often sticks in my mind that I think brings out a lot of different parts of the story. And from all of this is born Bridge USA. Bridge USA. We'll be right back. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Okay, I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Tell us what Bridge USA is today. 
So Bridge USA is an amazing group of young people. Our entire team is under the age of 26. Recent college grads, I graduated in 2020. Um, and each of us had many different things that we could have done with our lives. And I had some good mentors and people that were like, you know, take the risk. And I love this work. And so we jumped right into it. 2020 went full time from Berkeley. And since then, we're now a team of about 15 people. We have about 60 college, 20 high school chapters. Last semester, we engaged about 3,500 students across our semesters and campuses. And I think that's nothing. It's a great data point. But our goal is to reach 250 chapters. And the which would be then 10,000 students. It no. would be. It would. Yeah. It, it would. No, it would be around 12,000 students a semester. Wow. And all the, with the goal. All with of the, getting young people yeah. who have been infiltrated with social media and parents and whatever goes on in the schools and professors and teachers and the national media and all of which have shaped these very impressionable minds to come together and talk. And talk. But I'll say two other quick things. One is it's not just young people talking. This is about creating norms change in this country. What I mean by norms change is this is about what I call the hopeful majority, what you call the army of normal people, to essentially be heard. That's it. It's it's what Ronald Reagan did. It's what Newt Gingrich did with the moral majority. It's what Nixon did with the silent majority. It's what Barack Obama did with change. Yes, we can. It's what Trump did with the populist right. Is our fundamental task, and I think challenge, is to give power and voice to the sense of fear, the eggshells that everybody's walking on, the, the desire to have human connection, and yet that does not exist. That's our objective. And the reason why I think young people are so crucial to the effort is Take any social movement. I'll give you three. Civil rights movement. One of the key things that kicked it off were four students that walked into their local F.W. Woolworth outside of North Carolina and sat in the lunch counters. It was like a Mandela, the 90s, South Africa. It was a contingent of young people that allowed him to achieve tremendous cultural power. The fact is that I think young people have a lot of cultural power and I think old people have a lot of material power. And if you can combine the cultural narrative power and a material power into one, it's really powerful. The only other thing I'll say with respect to our broader objective, and this is where I'll defend my generation a little bit, and every generation's got their tests. Just for some context, I was born in 98. And people often say like, Manu, why does a lot of Gen Z either seem highly skeptical of politics or does not care or is so buried in their phone or does not believe in the possibility of democracy. In fact, there's a poll created by the Harvard Institute of Politics uh, two years ago that said, I think it was like 47% of young people are like 51 or something. It was pretty sizable. It was like, they don't believe in the power of democracy as a system for any change. I was born in 98. Which by the way, I've, I've read and I, I do that. Uh, that is heartbreaking to me. So again, this, this is a simple marketing challenge. It's like, all right, that's the problem set, but why? So that we can meet them where they are. You take somebody my age, born in December of 98, I'm 24, it's 23 right, 2023 right now. I was, I think, two years old when 9-11 happened. I was going to middle school when the Great Recession happened. I was graduating high school when the 2016 presidential election happened. 
I graduated college in 2020 when the pandemic hit, the Capitol riots happened, and you had the Trump-Biden election. And now it's 2023. Not a great sample size of democratic progress and growth. Hmm. Like that's the that's a that's a really fair comment. So I say that now many people. So I talked to a lot of people in the '60s that were in Berkeley at that time, which was also a very tumultuous time. That was probably the most comparable decade in some ways to what we're going through right now. And when you look at it from that lens, I don't think it's necessarily meant to excuse the skepticism and the critique, but I think it's meant to demonstrate that if all you know is a house on fire, then there's basically two options. One, you either try to will up and put out the fire, which is what myself and my fellow young leaders are doing, or you escape the house, which is frankly a very understandable notion. And so how do we challenge that? That's our objective. I think that's, um, I think it's really well stated. A lot of wisdom from a 24-year-old kid who, uh, you know, from India. Hey, we're not that bad. We're not that bad. <laughs> you know, hey, India, um, this is a hot take. So India's world's largest democracy. Yeah. It's also, it's got a lot of corruption. It's got I think a lot it's the world's largest country. I think just this year it took over China and population, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, being yeah, a large, democracy large, makes it, it's the world's largest anything yes. that it is. But part of the reason why, again, I became very invested in Bridge is because we saw how dysfunctional that democracy is too. But the other thing about India is, I think this is something that I've been seeing over the past couple of years. Cause when I started in 2017, when we started doing this, my mom would be like, she'd be like, uh, manna, there's, there's no Indian people out in politics. And weirdly, I don't know if you've been seeing this, but there's a lot. Oddly, uh, What's I going believe, on? well, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, Kamala Harris, Kamala Vivek Harris, Ramaswamy, I know. we had on the podcast, Bobby Jindal used to be the guy in Louisiana. Yeah, Bobby Jindal from um, that, yeah. You've got Vivek Morthy. Who's Don't the, be sleeping on these Indians I know. Now. Hey, hey, this is this is a hotter draft pick than the Memphis Grizzlies. <laughs> so here's the deal, dude. Um, I mean, grow up ha- born American, grow up half Indian, half American. Be the 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 revelation about your grandfather's impact on you, I think is significant because you talk about a normal guy, that's your granddad. And to have him be such a significant imprint on you, I think is telling. And um, to go to Berkeley and having grown up in apartments and your immigrant family chasing the American dream. And here you are at 24, having lived that reality and then gone through probably the biggest protest thing to happen at Berkeley in 40 years and to now be heading up an organization specifically meant to fix our American democracy. I think it's a beautiful, ironic tale and um, speaks to the power of an army of normal people Absolutely. and what it can do. If someone wants to get involved or hear more about it, how do they contact you? I appreciate that. Um, you think this is going to be a cop-out, but if you go to contact at bridgeusa.org, that email goes straight to my inbox. Perfect. And when I'm late 
it's like 11 p.m. in some hotel room far away in like Kansas or something, and I'm sitting there and I'm lonely. That's what I do. I read that inbox. That's that's, that's good. And really, contact's easier than menu. menu so exactly, just just call me contact. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> I'll say one last very quick thing, which is as you were telling me, like you were repeating the 24 year old thing and us doing all the stuff and all that. The reason why it gives me goosebumps is like, and I don't know where this comes from for me. Like, I genuinely have no idea, but I love this place. This, you know, when we used to, when we were growing up in, in India and then we would move back and forth and then I would travel back and forth. I was really interested in being an army medic for a very long time. And it was a thing in my family a lot. Like I used to ask my grandfather, like, should I join the Indian military? Should I join the American military? What do you think should happen? And he was like, which house feeds you? And I said, well, you know, what do you mean? He's like, like, which, which soil do you live on? What soil cares for you? You know, who showed up at our doorstep when 9-11 happened in India to check on you? Can you believe that? State Department sent somebody to a state in India out of the consulate because they were doing checks on foreign citizens. And, you know, I love history. And all of us play an extraordinarily insignificant part in history. You take your footnote of who your favorite leader is in American history or whatever, and they maybe get a sentence in the book of human history. We all have a small part, but what's so amazing about this place is we're trying to imagine I told you there's a society of 330 million people that are all different from each other. And you're now a thousand years in the future and you've studied the species called humans that have existed for a hundred thousand years. And in those 99,000 years, they were violent and they fought and they lived in tribes and they were essentially not what you see today in society. And that's their history. And now you're saying these 330 million people are trying to live together, heavily armed, and giving each other a voice and living in a system of governance where you and I are valued. That is the most ambitious experiment in the history of humanity. And just the last day, our team had just hired a few new people and we were having an all-hands meeting. I'll end with this. We were like, you know, why do you do what you do? And I said, like, look, you know, one of our mentors that passed away last year, and it was Rob Stein. He he talked about his legacy when he was dying. And he 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 was somebody that gave us a lot of knowledge. And he said, you know, Manu, what I most care about as I pass away now is not the things that I did, but the things that I think people like you will do. And that really changed my perspective. So I said, you know, our team, I said, imagine now you're 80 years old. You've thankfully got get grandkids. And they ask you, what were you doing in the 20s? you know, one of the most divided times in American history. And you said, I tried my best to try to solve one of the most pernicious problems this country's faced. And maybe you failed, but that's a proud answer. And so I love this place. I don't know where it comes from. I wish I was faking it because it would make it so much easier for me to walk away from it. But this is humanity's best shot. And that, my friend, is why you are absolutely a member of the army of normal folks. You're a build the army. You're, you're a guy who sees a need and fills it. And it's an amazing story. And I got to tell you, it gives us 55 year old goosebumps to look at a 24 year old kid say, I love my country. I don't want to make it better. We I just need a whole bunch more of you, bro. And the work you're doing is phenomenal. And I hope people will start chapters, support you financially, uh, check you out. And, um, and let more people know about the fact that all these 20 year olds running around here are not anti-democratic. Uh, 
change the world in the worst way possible people. There's a whole host of guys like you that love this country, that want to make it better and are not trying to do it in a vacuum, but rather in a very inclusive way. I've always said we can be a forward-thinking, evolving society without abandoning the core principles that got us here in the first place. And I really genuinely think you are an embodiment of that. And um, congratulations to what you've done so far. I can't wait to see where you go. And I really appreciate you joining me today. Thanks for having me. we got a country to build. And thank you for joining us this week. If Manu or another guest has inspired you in general, or better yet, to take action by starting a Bridge USA chapter, by donating to them, or something else entirely, please let me know. I'd love to hear about it. You can write me anytime at bill at normalfolks.us or call or text us at 901-352-1366. And if you enjoyed this episode, share it with friends and on social, subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, become a premium member at normalfolks.us, all these things that will help us grow an army of normal folks. Thanks to our producer, Iron Light Labs. I'm Bill Courtney, and I'll see you next week. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, You can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You know that feeling when you walk into your home... Take a deep breath and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.